Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. Today we're going to talk about how important is the smile to overall facial aesthetics. And today's guest, Dr. Lawrence Rifkin, Beverly Hills cosmetic dentist, is an expert and works simultaneously with plastic and cosmetic surgeons as well as other dental experts to create that perfect smile and overall balance to the facial face when it comes to facial aesthetics. Dr. Rifkin, welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. Thank you, Angela. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to share uh, my experience and knowledge with uh, your audience, and uh, I want to welcome you all to Aesthetic Insider Radio as well. This is quite an exciting moment for uh, all of us, and I think that what I have to share today might give someone or everyone a little bit of insight into the nuances and and uh, technology, technological changes and techniques that are really absolutely awesome to help patients create a more beautiful face, not just a smile. Great, great. Well, you know, before we do get we get started on that, Dr. Rifkin, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your background and kind of how you came to, you know, be, be working with facial aesthetics in the way that you do? Well, great. Uh, you know, uh, before I was a dentist, I actually was an art major in college. I really enjoyed painting, sculpting, drawing, and all forms of media. So I have always had a uh, an attachment towards beauty and trying to understand the visual language of art and how it expresses itself and how we feel about it. So in that early stage of my uh, education and career, uh, I also was enamored by a dental practice where I was able to earn some money working in a dental laboratory, and I found I could put in my artistic uh, passion along with something that could help patients individually. So I ended up going to dental school, and uh, dental school provided me that uh, hands-on type of uh, opportunity to perform art on people and create uh, something that isn't just something displayed in a gallery or in their home, but actually every day when they smile and all the relationships and interactions throughout the day, sort of a 24-7 uh, piece of artwork. And um, from there, I started to develop my skills in many aspects of dentistry, from the foundation of what we need to do in the oral environment, just as the teeth, the gums, the bone, replacement of teeth, fixing fillings, cracked teeth, and so on and so forth. So the function became obviously a foundational important thing, but we always know that when we fix teeth, we want them to look uh, aesthetic, we want them to look real and natural. And so I started to apply a lot of the artistic principles that I had learned in art school to uh, dentistry and trying to look not only at just the teeth, but the entire face. As I started to uh, get into sculpture then, I started to build faces, and I started to build faces from the inside out. In other words, I would create a skeleton, and then I would build on top of the skeleton the muscles and the, uh, the skin overlying that area. This had a very interesting epiphany for me because I thought that in orthodontics and dentistry, you can move teeth, you can actually in surgical aspects of some types of dentistry or oral facial, maxillofacial surgery, we can move bones around to create a better function, but it also had a huge impact on facial form and facial aesthetics. So I applied that along with the next knowledge when I was uh, asked to actually lecture because I've been lecturing for many years both at, uh, you know, internationally as well as local uh, dental groups and the uh, universities at USC and UCLA. 
I was able to acquire um, knowledge by attending and becoming a member of the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery. So I applied a lot of the dental principles uh, to my patients and then added on, at least in a referral basis, the ability for plastic surgeons, cosmetic surgeons, dermatologists, and the like to help my patients who come to me for cosmetic improvement. This experience for me working with other plastic surgeons gave me another level of, of knowledge, another layer so that I could look at a patient's face, I could put together from the inside out their skeletal structure, their muscle structure, the teeth and how they affect the smile, as well as what we can do as a team to make every individual look their best. And that's where I'm sort of at today. I am uh, really looking at a team effort and a team approach. When patients come to me to look better, they start with me as for the smile because obviously I'm a dentist. They perceive me as that, and that is what I am. But I'm also into helping them uh, find the best way to look their best, and sometimes that's a combination. Oftentimes it's a combination of, of combined specialty treatment with other, other uh, specialists, so, such as cosmetic surgeons and dermatologists. So that's a, that's a pretty much a good summary of my background. I've been practicing for 40 years here in Beverly Hills. And uh, I, I love what I do, going strong, and uh, I love lecturing and working as a team with other uh, cosmetic individuals. Mm, that's such a wonderful story and a wonderful background, and obviously brings us to the next question, which was, you know, because I do think on a, a, a more personal level, you know, um, mm -hmm. a, a great smile has an effect not just on the person who is smiling and has the great smile, but on people around them. So how would you explain how having a beautiful smile really does affect a person and those that they interact with? Well, that's a, that's a really great question. And, you know, the, uh, the, I'm going to take that back a little bit to the definition of beauty because, you know, how we feel about ourselves and how we perceive the world is based upon somewhat of a psychological or a neuropsychological programming that we have since we're infants. It's probably somewhat genetic, but how it affects each other, and I'll go into that in a second, how it affects each other is if let's presume that we're not happy with how we look or how we smile or what our teeth look like. Let's say we're missing a front tooth or a chipped tooth or a stained tooth. We tend not to smile. We tend to hide that perceived blemish. And as such, you know, when we interact with others, we don't smile. So we're not perceived as as friendly or likable or approachable as we would as if we just smiled because that's a facial expression that has somewhat of a two-way neuropsychological uh, effect upon our psyche. So our self-esteem is affected. We tend not to smile, and our perception by others who view us think that we're not as friendly. So it can affect, obviously, our own personal self-esteem. We don't feel great about ourselves. We lose a little bit of confidence. It affects our relationships on the outside world, such as uh, business, you know, when we're going for a job interview or interacting with clients or, or customers or patients. And it also, you know, can affect our personal relationships, uh, our romantic relationships. I mean, a perfect, which doesn't have to be perfect, but a beautiful smile or a natural, healthy smile really is inviting because it's a communication center between all of us. When we speak, when I speak with you, Angela, or anyone else, you're, you're focusing on what I'm saying and the facial expression that supports my content. So if you hear the words, you're looking at my mouth, create these words, you're observing the lips, you're observing the teeth, the gums, you're looking at the eyes, and we gaze back and forth. And these are the two most important facial features when we look at one's face that gives us the perception of, of beauty, of honesty, of integrity. So we have to focus on that. And this really comes back down to a lot of neuropsychological uh, genetic pro, uh, uh, studies. There was a, a Nobel Prize winner 
that his name was doc, uh, Dr. Conrad Lorenz, and he won a Nobel Prize for understanding beauty. And the concept of beauty itself, really interestingly, comes from our appreciation of our children, of our young. We perceive beauty as youthfulness. Babies, I don't care whether it's our own children, human beings, I don't care whether it's a puppy or a baby walrus, they're all cute. And why are they cute? Because they're more smooth, they are more, a little bit more chubby, they are more balanced, and we, we see that psychologically as a form of beauty. It's not the only form of beauty, but that's, a, that's one part of it. Also, evolutionary-wise, uh, it has been proven that general body symmetries, left and right symmetries, support health. So uh, an animal or a creature that has a, a physiological or anatomical asymmetry sometimes is not as healthy as one that is symmetrical. Let's say you have one leg shorter than the other. You probably can't run as fast or perform whatever functions you need to do. When doctors, when we examine patients and we find a, a lump on one side of the body and it's not on the other, we have to investigate it. It may be nothing, but it could be an indication of some health issue. So symmetry and our youthfulness uh, appreciation is a form of beauty. And when we look at one another or when we look at ourselves, if we see some blemish in some way, shape, or form, we lose that positive confidence in how we look at ourselves and our self-esteem and how others perceive us and how we perceive others. So a definition of beauty, I think, it needs to be investigated. So when we, we start to say things like, let's teach symmetry, let's teach mathematical symmetry, there's a limit to that because in nature there's no 100% mathematical symmetry. But we need to look at all of these elements. When I look at a face, I look at general symmetry. I look at facial balance. I look at harmony. These are artistic principles, and I also look for the elements that rejuvenates ourselves so that we tend to you know, play into that, that appreciation of a youthful, strong, healthy, vibrant person. And um, I think that's really, really important in how we perceive ourselves and, and what it can do for us throughout life um, with our relationships, not only with ourselves but with others. So what are the principal factors to consider when creating a change in a style? Well, again, um, I, if a, when patients usually come to me for, if it's not for you know, just general health, which is a very important foundation, should never be ignored just for cosmetics. We always have to start with a foundation of health. But when I look at someone who comes to me to improve their smile, I have to look at why they're coming to me even in the first place. If you want to improve your smile, you probably just want to look your best. And because I'm a dentist, they don't perceive that I may or may not have the knowledge to consider what would I do with their nose, what would I do with their eyes and their neck, etc. But on the other hand, it's all a matter of balance. It's an artistic balance. So I look at the face, I look at it at multiple views, frontal, three-quarters, profiles, and I see if there's any impact that can be improved both dental-wise, and I also can make some suggestions if a patient is open for that and if they're requesting that to talk to them about other areas and features of their faces that I can maybe perhaps recommend or refer to a specialist that really can help them in that area as well. When we put together the face as if we were creating a beautiful project, I don't care whether it's a home or a piece of artwork, the face can be a piece of artwork. And when we look at all of the different elements and we put that together for facial harmony, I look for, of course, balance, symmetry, and harmony, and also personalizing that, those features to match the features that the patient presents with. 
You know, if I can't change their eyes when I don't need to, uh, how wide apart are their eyes? How large are their cheekbones? What is their profile like? What is their chin projection? So if I look at the face from a frontal view and three quarters and I see the lips, the gums, and the teeth, this is all a part of artistic elements that need to be put together just as if an architect were rebuilding a beautiful home or some other structure. So the dentist usually has been isolated by the patient because it's understandable, and the plastic surgeon has been isolated by the patient. So the patient becomes the general contractor or the architect of their face with no integration between all the different subcontractors, if you want to look at it that way. I believe that we have to work as a team. I believe that we have to, which I do, I work with uh, surgeons, I work with orthodontists, I work with um, uh, even makeup artists and, and hair, hairstylists, to put together uh, the more ideal, more pleasing features with you know, some variation that is also very personalized to that particular patient. You know, the design that I create for one person as far as their teeth and their arrangement and their size and their color may be totally different than another patient. It may be both equally beautiful, just as can we say that which is more beautiful, a rose or an orchid? They're both beautiful. They're absolutely both beautiful, equally beautiful, but totally different. So every face is unique, like a fingerprint. And you have to put together those facial elements in a harmonious fashion. And you have to work with other specialists because, of course, I can't work on a patient's nose or their chin or their eyes or do a facelift. But this patient comes to me to look better. And if I can be a resource for them to put together and become more of the general architect and designer along with others, they're going to benefit from the integration of our combined treatment rather than becoming the general contractor of their own face. They'll hear from friends, they'll look on the news, they'll see the Internet, and there may be very, very fine specialists in all these different areas. But if it's not integrated together, they may do it either in the wrong sequence or the wrong proportion because, let's say, the plastic surgeon doesn't know what I can do with the smile. Or I, perhaps, if I didn't know what they could do with the nose or the chin or the eyes, we are not giving the patients the greatest benefit of what we could do is if we combined our treatments together. We have to put our heads together and design this integratively and uh, with a comprehensive approach to facial beauty. So I look at all of these different elements, and I see the opportunity sometimes to refer to other specialists to benefit the patients in that way. So, so in terms, and this is kind of a two-part um, question here. We're about halfway through the show, um, and so I'm going to oh bundle these two That's questions fast. together. So, in terms of facial sure. aesthetic, um, how would you say you know cosmetic dentistry provides the patient with a more harmonious, a balanced appearance? And what elements do you apply when you are working with plastic and cosmetic surgeons, dermatologists, to really help people attain their desired end result? Well, again, I, I, I look at the patient's goals. I talk to them, and from a heart-to-heart -heart standpoint, you know, what do they want to achieve? Some of us really could care less about whether our faces are symmetrical, and that's fine. You know, you don't have to be. I always tell patients, you know, you know a lot of cosmetics is not necessarily, uh, it's not indicated. It's if you want it. Some people are very secure with however they look. Uh, I always believe that the most beautiful face is one that smiles, whether it's symmetrical or not. If you don't smile, you're not engaging, you're not... You're not creating that internal feeling of happiness. But when it, when it does come to that, my, my process is for to interview the patient, see what their goals are. I really want to please the patient. Not, it's not their smile. It's the patient themselves. It's an individual human being with feelings. And so I look at what their goals are. I take photographs, uh, two and three dimensions from multiple views. Um, 
I take study models. Uh, we do three-dimensional uh, radiographs or x-rays, such as cone beam CT scans, which are incredibly low radiation. It's less than normal dental x-rays. And we look at the internal skeletal structure. And if the patient indicates that some blemish or not, we assess the, the blemishes that could be improved, some that are really just beautiful uh, features of their persona, you know, like let's say Cindy Crawford's mole, we would never want to remove that, right, even though it's asymmetric. So we have to look at the individual. And then once I figure out what the patient's uh, blemishes are and what we could do about it and if it's worth doing, then we discuss it. I put together a personalized PowerPoint so they can see their, their face, their mouth, their teeth, and every aspect possible. And then if there's an indication, I will communicate and work closely with a plastic surgeon dermatologist to solve perhaps a skin problem, blemishes, or a, a nose or any other feature that might um, require or indicate improvement. And that's my protocol. I look, I look at the patient that way. And then we go through a step-by-step -step process to create a predictable result. You know, you had mentioned earlier in the show about kind of some of the things perhaps that you see that a plastic, a cosmetic surgeon, dermatologist would not see and vice versa. Can you kind of just in a nutshell mm -hmm. go over those those points again a little bit more for us? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a really great question. Absolutely. So um, let's, let's take an example of a patient that has poor lip support. Let's say their teeth are either small or they're tilted inward and they have a change in their profile from the nose to the lip, and we call that um, insufficient lip support. There's a, what we call the nasolabial angle, where the lip projects out. So a lot of us today want fuller lips. At least we want to have the proper profile. This can also be affected by the chin, which I'll go into. So if a plastic surgeon compensates for a poor support of the teeth by doing injectables, excessive injectables, you get the fat lip that actually covers the teeth, and now the patient comes to me and says, well, I want to have bigger teeth because I can't see my teeth anymore. And then the teeth become too large. So you need to really sequence the proper treatment by, let's say, potentially orthodontics to move the teeth forward where they should be, or sometimes it's even a jaw surgery. Let's say the chin. Sometimes chins are deficient, so you have this kind of uh, retrograde chin and you don't have a strong jawline. Sometimes plastic surgeons or cosmetic surgeons will do the appropriate thing and put in some sort of chin implant. But on the other hand, if they don't look inside the mouth and they don't see that there might be a bite disharmony, maybe the lower jaw itself is too short and they're not really looking at patient's function. Sometimes it's a matter of what we call orthodontics or orthognathic surgery to extend the length of the lower jaw out further and that would give them a much better chin projection. So looking at the face, both internally, just like I used to build sculptures and still do from the inside out with the skeletal system, we have to have good layered aesthetics, good layered anatomy. So those are a couple examples of lip support and chin projection. Also, the lips themselves can be modified slightly, whether they are asymmetric, which we can do just a, a small amount of, of filler on one side to take an asymmetric lip and make it symmetrical then your teeth display more evenly. We can do um, lip lifts. We can, do, we can get the appropriate size teeth to match the lips. So if you don't take into account the size of the lips, you may not make the right size teeth. So interacting with uh, the surgeons, if we knew what the, the patient's goals were and we could identify the, the blemishes, we could do the appropriate treatment and not do the inappropriate treatment. Now, this kind of might be a bit of a repeat question to you, but I, I would like in a mm -hmm. nutshell to know how overall, you know, how can dentistry improve specifically things like a facelift, an eye lift, a rhinoplasty, or 
chin augmentation or even simple rejuvenation with fillers and Botox? Well, that's a good question as well. Um, just I'll go back to you need to build it from the inside out. You don't put the uh, the paint on the walls, okay, or the skin on the walls until the structure is there. So you need to build the skeletal system from the beginning, and it may be there. And if it's not there, we have options from minor orthodontics to major orthodontics to build out the lip support because the lips drape over the teeth and the gum tissue. And no matter how much filler you put in on one side or the other, it doesn't last forever, and then you go back to the same blemish as is repeated. Sometimes you can avoid fillers with proper positioning or sizes of the teeth, and that will support the lip what I call support. Draping of the lips over it creates a better profile, actually can sometimes increase the, the perception of the fullness of the lips, and then at least if you get the teeth beneath the lips symmetrical, then augment, you have a much better final result, and you're not compensating for a deficient tooth or missing tooth or a tooth that's tilted inward by trying to build it out with the lip itself. You need to get it the underlying support draping from the skeletal system, which is also the teeth. You know what I find interesting is because you, you use the word orthodontics, and I think for many of us, you know, we excuse me, have considered orthodontics to be mm -hmm. something that is more braces for kids, you know, um, <clears throat> Excuse me, but I am seeing now many people kind of as, as we're aging is that they are looking to orthodontics, you know, whether it is through, as you say, you know, things like Invisalign or just, you know, other types of things that physically move the shift or building upon with veneers and, and other things. So I, I do find it interesting just how orthodontics has take, takes on kind of a different presence as we age. Um, yes, this, uh, you know, orthodontics, uh, it, it's better to start, start orthodontics when we are in a developmental stage, when we have a little bit more control of facial growth and, and jaw, jaw formation and jaw bone size. Uh, when we get older, we can simply move teeth to some limited degree. Our teeth do somewhat wear and shorten uh, by simple use over time, decades of use. The teeth get a bit shorter, get a bit darker. And uh, your bite tends to close a little bit. That means the nose distance to the chin gets a little bit shorter. So we lose that lower face height sometimes. Uh, orthodontics or reconstructive dentistry can uh, impact that and correct that. Uh, we'd like to do the minimal amount of tooth uh, modification with veneers or crowns if we can avoid it. And sometimes orthodontics can do that. But orthodontics cannot uh, correct stains. They cannot correct unhealthy gums. Uh, to some limited degree by themselves, but it can enhance cleaning. But to utilize orthodontics as an adult is a, is a very, very important thing to do. Never, never think I'm too old to have orthodontics. Sometimes beautiful teeth just being in the wrong position just need to be repositioned without having to cut down tooth structure for veneers. And I do lots and lots of veneers when indicated. But there's also times I tell patients, no, you should really have your teeth whitened and have them straightened, and then we'll revisit that. This will also help your facial form and your lip support, etc. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, one of the things, things that you did mention earlier was about how, you know, you have a process, you have a system working with a patient aesthetically when they come in to ask them questions or to, you know, evaluate their appearance. How can a plastic or cosmetic surgeon work better with you to provide a better smile for their patients? 
by simply uh, doing what you have actually uh, supported and combining and putting together meetings of educational academic meetings where we have all of the multi-specialties together in one room and we sit and learn from one another. We look at different cases. We look at different options for treatments. So being the former president of an academy, uh, I've believed in multidisciplinary or multi-specialty communication and education. I like to see where dentists sit side by side with plastic surgeons and so on and so forth. So if the plastic surgeons, the dermatologists, the cosmetic surgeons would sit and become a student of dentistry just as we dentists should become a student of cosmetic surgery, we will be able to have the knowledge to know that there is maybe another and better alternative to treatment to help this patient look their best. We want predictability. You know, in dentistry, I have a method to achieve the predictable, most beautiful optimal result without surprises or fear on the patient to create beautiful smiles with veneers. Some patients have called it the Rifkin method. I've developed this over my entire career trying to refine everything that I do, and I go step by step. So I do the proper analysis both uh, verbally and photographically with study models, and then I wax and sculpt perfect teeth, and then we make perfect temporaries or provisionals to make sure that what we have designed is pleasing to the patient and they're very happy. And then with that step-by-step -step process, without skipping any steps, the patient has the assuredness that the final result and the final ceramics of the veneer or multiple veneers will look just the way we want it and design it. There's no surprises. The same way, if we work together, dentists and cosmetic surgeons together, and we look at these patients and we say, okay, should we do a chin implant or should we do a jaw surgery? Should we just move the teeth out a little bit, do veneers? Should we do that first before we do lip injectables? That would be a wonderful, wonderful process to ensure that the plastic surgeon with the knowledge of dentistry could be choosing the right treatment as well as the dentist doing the reverse. So what you're doing, Angela, I know with many of your courses, that you know I have spoken at, that uh, I think this is the, the most powerful way in continuing education for both specialties in dentistry and medicine to learn how to help our patients better. Yeah, and I agree, and I, I know that you were a speaker recently at the uh, Los Angeles Multi-Specialty Cosmetic Academy held in Beverly Hills in uh, March of this year, um, and I know that you gave a presentation, and it was extremely well received by the, many of the you know plastic cosmetics terms and and people in the audience, and so I really do think that you're onto something here, and hope you know that as the LAMCA meeting continues into 2019, that that's something that you'll be able to continue doing as well to kind of educate the doctors, if you will, on on you know better outcomes for the patients. Um, so you know, and in, so lastly, Doctor, I mean, this is such an amazing show, and we could go on forever about. All of these. Mm, I know. I have so much to share. So much to share. Yeah, there, there really is. And so, um, just lastly, you know, I, I would like for you to tell our listeners, um, you know, how they can reach you and the best way to reach you. And of course, I'd love to have you back on the on the show as a guest again at some time in the future. Oh, it would be my pleasure, my honor. Well, well, thank you very much. I think uh, if I might say just a couple call to actions, I think that that the. The doctors that are maybe listening to the show, including my, myself, I encourage all of us to interact with one another and learn about each other's specialty. I would like the public to know that if they come to me or any other dentist cosmetically, that talk about their faces, talk about them very openly, say, hey, how can I look better? And if it requires a referral to another specialist, please do so. Get multiple opinions, uh, multiple uh, consultations as a patient. So that's my call to action. But in order to reach me, and, and thank you for that, my 
my office is in Beverly Hills. It's on Camden Drive. I basically have an office suite called Suite 1280 and Suite 1200. Uh, in these two offices that are right adjacent to one another, one is a little bit more private for those of you who may wish to have a longer or need a longer procedure or more privacy. Uh, this is where we can bring in multiple specialists and take a look at your face and take a look at your smile and treat you with the ultimate somewhat VIP luxury care. All of my patients are celebrities to me, so no matter which office you go to, they're, they're all beautiful. And it's not just about the beauty, it's about the thoroughness that my staff, who is amazing, um, can take care of my patients. And I think that that's a really important aspect. It's not just the result, but it's also somewhat of the journey and the comfort along the way. So you certainly can reach me at my office uh, uh, or on social media. My, my phone number is 310-273-0200. I'm at 414 North Camden Drive, Suites 1280 and Suites 1200. Uh, I am on Instagram at Dr. Lawrence Rifkin and also on Facebook and Twitter. You may reach me through either of my social medias or if you look up my website, drlawrencerifkin.com or sweet1200.com or even my sculpture website, which is called rifkinsculpture.com. I'd be pleased to take your calls and messages and my staff would be happy to help you out in any way possible. Well, Dr. Rifkin, again, thank you so much for being on Aesthetic Insider Radio. It's been such a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to our next, uh, our next show. Oh, Angela, thank you so much for the opportunity to share. I know 30 minutes just seemed like it was 30 seconds to me. I know I have a lot to say, and sometimes perhaps my answers are long-winded, but I think this foundation <laughs> no. of what and why and how is probably the most important thing before we get into techniques and all the exciting things that we do with microscopes and cone beam CT scans and all kinds of digital design. There's more, so many subjects that we could talk about, but I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Absolutely. Well, have a great day. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody listening. Bye-bye. Have a blessed day.